Welcome, everyone, to the Fantastics Insider Baseball Podcast. I'm Lou Blassie, along with Scott Dombrowski from Fantastics and InsiderBaseball.com. Thanks for finding us. Subscribe to us on Google and Apple and uh, Spotify podcasts if, you, uh, if you're listening to us there or if you work with one of them because our episodes come out on a regular basis and you're going to want to know when they drop because you want the most up-to-date information as well. And plus, we're just fun to listen to, so you're going to want to know, Sky, when we drop a new episode. Yes, clearly. It should be the first thing that anyone looks for on the internet every day. And I'd love to give you a schedule, but we can't do that. So, <laughs> yeah, right. So sign up on one of those outlets or just keep checking at insideofbaseball.com. There's probably a better way to do it. Just show up at insideofbaseball.com every day. You'll find when the new episodes are out. Check out our baseball blog and our fantasy baseball tools if you're not a subscriber. And check those out. The um, podcasts are free to non-subscribers as well. It's a big day. This is the National Day of Potential Concern, or this is the episode, our podcast episode of the National Day of Potential Concern, which is something we started on Sirius several years ago. It's funny. I got an I got an email from uh, somebody uh, the other day who said my second favorite fantasy baseball day of the year after draft day is National Day of Potential Concern. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's a thing now. It's a thing now. We've been doing it for a long time. And basically, this is kind of mocking the old philosophy. I know when I started this and when you started this, there was the philosophy of not to panic and not to do much before June 1st. Or And we used to poke fun at that anyway before because there are times there are certain players where, you know, it's not date related. It's performance related. It's it's situationally related. So you have to make some changes, sometimes some big ones before June 1st. But Basically, it's kind of this is the day where we're just taking the leash off and you can be concerned about players if you want to. And we'll dive into some players that might be worthy of concern and we can see what their uh, prognosis is going forward for this year. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's no there's no tape. It's not like a marathon where, you know, you you cross the finish line. Okay, now it's time we can be concerned. Yesterday we couldn't at all. Today we can 100 percent. It's a moving target. But, you know, we, we try to pick this time of the year where you've got a representative sample size of whether it be, you know, 150, 200 plate appearances for batters, 50 innings pitched or so for pitchers, where you've seen enough that unless the underlying data shows that there's been a lot of poor fortune, uh, there's there's reason for legitimate concern. All right, let's talk about that a little bit because we don't get to do it on the serious show too much because they want us to burn through players and 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 put a lot of information out there, which we do. But we can talk about strategy a little bit more here on the podcast and just talking in general about when we're looking at some of the players we're going to look to. And it's individual to each player. I, I think that's important. There are no formulas here. There are no uh, silver bullet indicator stats that tell us whether a player is on the decline or or his performance has declined or is going to get better. So it's individual to the players. But give me some idea of what you look at when we're looking at these players on the list today to try to figure out if their decline is permanent or whether it's a change in skill set or something we should pay attention to or something we should say, all right, let's just give it some more time. Well, the easiest stuff are things like looking at the exit velocity for both hitters and pitchers, uh, looking at BABIP, um, you know, looking at if there's been a launch angle change, uh, looking at some other things like defensive metrics and base running metrics to see if there's some sort of physical issue for for uh, hitters, you know, their velocity for pitchers. There's a lot of things that you can look at where if the the stuff that we score on, batting average, on base percentage, home runs, RBIs, ERA, WHIP, if the stuff we score on doesn't match up with all the other stuff we see, then maybe they're is or is not reason for concern that you wouldn't necessarily see on the surface. And sometimes I think because we're so enamored with it, I think sometimes even to myself, I think we lean a little bit too much on quality of contact for both hitters and pitchers, but it's terrific information. It's great data because it's not interpretive at all. It is what it is. And there's no calls here. There's no, that was a line drive. That was hard hit. That wasn't hard hit. Even the little, uh, the kind of, we use barrels, but even barrels is a little bit of a black box formula there at this point. We're looking at quality contact and it's telling us how well these guys are doing in a rather empirical way, isn't it? Well, I think so. Sure. You, you know, if, if a guy's hitting, we all know that at 95 miles an hour, the uh, average batting average and average slugging jumps significantly. So if you have a hitter that's hitting 40, 50% of the time at 95 plus, 
and they've got a batting average of 210 and a slugging of 350, you can be reasonably certain that as long as they continue to hit the ball like this, those numbers are coming up. Yeah, that's basically a lot of times it's comparing. It's the same basics that we do all the time. It's comparing result stats to indicator stats and seeing if they tell us the same story. Right, exactly. And when they don't, we start to dig in a little deeper to see what might be luck, what might be a skill change, what might be an age decline, what might be um, some kind of mechanical change for pitchers and things like that. We try to diagnose this. When they're not telling us the same story, we try to diagnose why it's not telling us the same story. Yeah, for sure. It could be, you know, a guy faced a disproportionate amount of uh, left-handed pitching as a lefty hitter. Uh, It could be that they had, you know, uh, 30% of their games played against Tampa Bay and, and I don't know, pick another great pitching staff. Um, You know, there's a lot of reasons that these things happen. So, you know, you try to dig under it and see what's likely to happen. Find your buy low candidates, find your sell high candidates. This is what it's all about. So us being who we are, we'll start out with a candidate that could potentially blow up everything we just talked about in Jose Abreu, because there's one fact with Jose Abreu that could be accounting for all this that doesn't fall into this uh, this area. And everything is off for him. His result stats are off. His indicator stats are off. And you would look at his age at 36 and say, well, this might be. This, this might be the start of the end, or might be we might be in some progress in the end. But of course, Jose Abreu is a slow starter. So how do we factor that in? Well, I think the, the key with Abreu is that most of the other slow starts that I remember from him, and we, he's on this list almost every year. And um, you know, we all we we can get concerned, we cannot be concerned. But Jose Abreu, facts are facts. And of the six months of the baseball season, his two worst months every single year are April and May. So. You know, we, we get used to having him here and talking about him. But typically, Abreu's slow starts have not been categorized. They've not been supported by the underlying data. They've not been categorized as complete skill set decline. Right. It's just been mostly poor fortune, which we sort of attributed to him just being a warm weather guy and, and enjoying that uh, that time of the year a lot more. This year, you've got some serious exit velocity decline uh, pull percentage is, is down to lowest of his career easily by a pretty significant margin. Um, and he's just, you know, the, the contact numbers are, are off a bit. Uh, the chase rate is up highest uh, since 2016. So a lot of the stuff is is bad. And, you know, you've got a, a scenario change. You know, he spent the first nine years of his career with the White Sox. First year in Houston with a better lineup around him in theory. Uh, so you just maybe an acclimation issue. You think, oh, we'll, we'll give him some latitude here, but this looks really bad. I am absolutely 100% concerned that this is it for Abreu, and he just he looks done. And when we talked about this on, on a serious show, I was just giving out my organizational faith in Houston. It's like they just signed him to a three-year contract. They know whether he's done or not. They couldn't have missed by this much. But if they're not looking at him, in other words, if they're not working him out before they sign him and they're, they're in an analytics-based organization, they have a strong analytics element to them. If they're just looking at the analytics, last year's quality of contact issues would indicate that he's got some time left. So whatever happened here or what is happening here has happened pretty precipitously. It's something that wouldn't have been seen. We didn't see it last year. I don't think we were predicting this going into the year that there would be a decline of this magnitude. Not of this magnitude, certainly not. But when you start looking at his entire body of work, you see a a pretty steady decline from 2018 through now. It's just that a lot of the surface stats, particularly batting average, uh, haven't really shown that. Last year, we kind of, for, for whatever reason, we wrote it off, but 15 home runs for a guy that routinely is a 30 home run hitter, at least every other year. Yep. Uh, only 75 RBIs in 157 games for a guy that batted cleanup the entire year. I know the the lineup wasn't great, but it wasn't terrible. Slugging percentage down to 446 by 22 points, the lowest of his nine-year career. All this stuff was pretty bad, but because he posted the best BABIP since his rookie season of 350, and because he didn't strike out much, it was the lowest number of his of his career, and because he walked a lot, so the OBP was actually the best of his career since his rookie year, 378, we were, we just kind of glossed over it. But definite power decline, pretty significant last year. The max exit velocities, if you throw out the 2020 mm-hmm. year, have yep. been steadily coming down since 2018. 
but the averages stayed the same. The launch angles continue to come down, though. So really, you're just getting a whole lot of hard-hit singles from him over the last two or three years, and now all of a sudden, everything is gone. So, so this, it does make some sense. And this rebound after the bad months that he has is probably going to happen again, but what we're seeing with this trend is that when the numbers bounce back, and you can almost see it to this point, that's one of the, way I, one of the reasons I discount his early season struggles, his history of early season struggles, because I'm looking at these numbers and I'm going, even if he replicates his original performance or his the performance we expect from him, these numbers aren't coming back. This is too big a hole. And I think what we're going to see is a third year of decline in here. And, and basically, you know, you wanted a little bit more than those 15 homers from him in 2022. I'm not sure. Well, first of all, he hasn't hit a homer run yet in 200, close to 200 at-bats. But that's not coming back either. This is just a continuation of that decline. It just looks particular looks particularly bad at this point, looks like it's fallen off a cliff because he's still dealing with his April and May type of woes. I think he'll bounce back to an extent, but I think what we're going to see is a continuation of this decline. I think that the best case scenario at this point is that that's what you're going to see. Last year, he at least hit five home runs in in April and May, and he was hitting about uh, 245, upper 240s anyway. So, you know, but most of the most of the um, projections here, you get a zip steamer there around 265 and 11, 13 homers, 57 RBIs. That looks about right to me. I think that's perhaps even a little bit optimistic. Might be a little optimistic, yeah. But I, I don't see I don't see better than that. I think that's sort of a best case scenario right now is that you see a 265 average and and 12 to 15 homers the rest of the way. That's that's best case. All right, CJ Cron hitting 228, just six homers and 136 at bats this year, and his quality of contact numbers actually bounced up a little bit. Has bounced up a little bit compared to 2022. What are you looking at there? Well, I wonder how much the back has really been bugging him. Back injuries aren't something that generally just come out of nowhere. You know, usually you 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 just you've got some soreness, you've got some soreness, it doesn't go away, gets a little worse, gets a little worse, and then finally, like, look, I gotta I gotta go on the IL, I gotta rest this for a little bit. Um, it's more that kind of thing than an acute sort of a thing. Um, but the quality contact numbers, as you mentioned, are definitely better than we've seen for a few years since his uh, since the pre-COVID days back in Minnesota. Um, He's just been a little bit unfortunate, you know, 30 points of average and uh, 60 points of slugging via StatCast expected data versus what we're actually seeing. And, you know, we definitely with Crone, we've got a high fly ball, high pull kind of a bat, which in Colorado you can kind of get away with. Usually the batting average won't be hit too hard just because of the nature of Coors Field. Uh, But this year, 228 to this point, um, I I just feel like he hasn't really had – quite as many games at home. Only 16 games at home has he played so far. Uh, he missed that whole week of a homestand with the back injury. So, you know, it's put him a little bit behind what you'd expect to see from him. I really, I feel like he's going to be okay. But, you know, with Crone, I think when when he went to Colorado, people are thinking, oh, geez, we're going to get like 35 to 40 homers. And that average is going to be 280. And the average was 280 the first year with 28 homers, which is kind of you know, what he did in Tampa, it's what he did in Minnesota. So maybe a little disappointing. Uh, and at this point, you know, heading into his mid-30s, I feel like, you know, maybe that's as good as it's going to get. Yeah, it could be. And he hasn't taken advantage of, of that limited time at home either. It's been the worst side of his split from home and away, which is kind of interesting. So maybe he was dealing with those back issues, you know, around that injury and around the time that he's played at home and hasn't ha- hasn't been as healthy when the schedule has come up with home games that it has been when he's been on the road. Could be. Plus, he hit, He happened to hit those uh, few series in Colorado where the weather was actually not really conducive to hitting, um, which is very unusual for there, but can happen in April. So what, what, what we might be looking at here is he would be on high 20s homer pace maybe for the rest of the year once he gets settled in, assuming he stays healthy and things like that. But he's dug a big enough hole so that the end results aren't going to look quite right. Yeah, they won't. But I mean, all we're trying to do is figure out what to expect from here forward. So uh, I feel like there's not a lot that I'm super concerned about here. I think you'll kind of get last year's performance pro rata the rest of the right. way. Yeah. Assuming that, he's healthy. Assuming and that's an important consideration because, again, at the end of the year, these numbers aren't going to look like what we expected. They're going to be disappointing at the end of the year a little bit. But I think the pace for the rest of the year will probably be satisfying. 
I would expect that it would be. There's nothing here that makes you think it wouldn't be. The StatCast expected data is actually better than last year's. It's uh, right about almost exactly what it was in 2021. So, you know, there's nothing here that really alarms me. He just has been slightly disappointing. Uh, I guess the whole my whole feeling about C.J. Crone is that I'm just sort of nonplussed about the Colorado tenure. We're going to get into a couple people on, on these lists who have been a little bit better of late. George Springer is one of them, hitting 255 with seven homers. He's on. He's on. He's not going to hit 30 homers, but he's on the pace where he's going to be low to mid 20s if he continues this pace going forward. So that's about what we we're expecting, weren't we? Well, yes, but boy, look at that exit velocity. I know, right? Is disturbingly low. You know, Springer. People think of Springer as a power hitter because. You know, he's put up between 25 and, you know, 40 homers in 2019 with Houston uh, for the lion's share of the last 10 years. So we think of George Springer as a power guy, but he's he's not really. He's pretty much a fly ball hitter that happens to hit the ball out sometimes because he pulls the ball quite a bit. Those exit velocities are below average. The max exit velocities are decidedly not. So he's the kind of guy that I just feel like, with George Springer, he's supremely disappointing to me uh, because he never – some things look like he's made progress, but he's never really accessed the level of power that he has. The raw power, the max exit velocities, are in the 115 to 116 range for most of his career. Those are very, very good, borderline elite maximum exit velocity. So you just kind of expected him to be more of a steady 30 to 40 homer guy, and he's only hit 30 or more twice in 10 years. So I just, I, I feel like he leaves me a little bit unimpressed with what he's done in his career. Those exit velocities don't match up. The, the maximum exit velocities don't match up with what we're getting on the average exit velocities, which many years is sub 89, which is not what you're looking for from George Springer. And, you know, unfortunately he had the two early season careers where he topped 30 home runs or, you know, 2019, not necessarily early season either. But we want to draft him and we want to pay for him on that basis. But he just often isn't that. Take a look at the uh, amount of pop-ups that he hits. They just have very steadily increased through his entire career. The soft contact rates are extremely high for a hitter of any caliber. You know, he, He's gone above 20% once and he's very close to 20% most years. There's just a lot of poor contact. So while he has become a better hitter for contact over his career, very steady increase from low 60s back in 2014 up through the 70s into 83% this year, which is really a very good contact rate. But I sort of feel like, you know, we talk about this a lot. Pitchers will tell you just how dangerous a hitter you are. And his zone percentage has come up three years in a row now, and it's up to 46% this year. If pitchers are throwing you strikes almost half the time, they don't fear you. And yet he's getting a little bit more conservative. The pull rate is down, swinging strike rate is down, chase rate is down. And that's probably, at least from last year, and that's probably a situation what you talked about. He doesn't have to chase because they're not going outside the zone on him. They're challenging him. Yeah, that's what it looks like to me. And if you look at the slugging percentages and the, the zone percentages and all these things combined lead me to believe that we're witnessing the decline phase here with Springer. I feel like people don't value that as such. But I think he's firmly in decline. And at age 33, and as a guy that missed 30 games last year, missed 85 games the year before, missed 40 games the year before COVID, I don't think he's getting healthier. So, right. you know, this is it's not a player that I really want to be holding in dynasty formats right now. I'd want to be out. Um, I'd look for any kind of little blip in performance upward to shop him around and say, hey, you know, this is a a 25-15 guy last year, definitely on pace to be a 25-25 guy this year. Uh, certainly somebody people should should value highly, right? Right. But the bottom line is that that exit velocity, the average exit velocity, despite his raw power, his game power is to the point where it's just borderline. You, everything has to go right. And he's had two 30-plus homer seasons with sub-90 exit velocities on average, which is just making – just good use of everything he hits at that point. Houston probably played into it with the uh, with the Crawford boxes down there, but it just it's too borderline, and everything has to go right for him. He's kind of in the Mookie Betts. Even CJ Cron, who we just talked about, is kind of in the same place where 
he's not getting these home runs. He's not getting this power on just game power. It's just everything's got to go right. He's got to pull the ball. He's got to hit it right. And some some years it goes really well. Some years it doesn't go so well. Yeah, and you've seen those pull percentages really come up in the last three years as he's trying to keep that same level of power with declining exit velocities. Uh, not not a great situation, really, for for a hitter to uh, be stretching at this point in his career. And his home run to fly ball in the 34 home run year was 22.8. It was 29.5 in the 39 home run year. His career is 20.4. Just plays into it. Things have to go right, and sometimes they do, which is why we have to pay attention to the luck stats as well. Sure. 16% last year and 12 this year. Yep. So yeah, I think it'll come up some as the year goes on and I think you'll get an opportunity to get out. Uh, but you know, I'm, I'm divesting myself of my Springer shares at this point. I, I really don't want to be holding anymore. I don't think that this is going to get a lot better over the next couple of years. Kyle Schwaber has 12 homers and 168 at-bats this year, but he's hitting just 173 with just a 175 Babbitt. Well, I mean, Kyle Schwarber's style of hitting is just not conducive to having any sort of Babbitt at all. Uh, and the pull percentage has gone from the mid to high 40s, where he's sat for most of his career, to 56 so far this year, which you're you're not going to have a good Babbitt with that. Last year's 240 is sort of what you should expect, really, uh, from a hitter of this style. 175, yeah, definitely. That's a little bit of an overcorrection. Um, that will move up. But even StatCast expected has him only at a 206 average. He's hitting 173. So there's not a lot of upside here. I like Schwarber's power, uh, especially now that Harper's back. He'll have a little more protection in the lineup. And I know that the uh, studies have shown that that's not a thing, but I disagree. I think it absolutely <laughs> is a thing. Um, you know, the contact rates, he's viewed as a poor contact hitter because he strikes out a lot because he's very patient. He's not a poor contact hitter. There's been a little degradation this year, but below average is as far as I'll go with Schwarber. I think he's he's more in the average category as a contact bat. Um, and obviously the power is good. You know, the exit velocity, 93.3 last year was the second highest of his career, but he's 92.5 this year. So that's really good. I think he's going to be fine. He's going to be sort of what you expected coming into the year. Last year he hit 46 homers and batted 220. Uh, if he ends up the year batting 205 to 210 with 35 homers, are people going to think that that's disappointing? They probably will, but it's sort of in that in that bell curve, in that first standard yeah. deviation away from the, the mean. That's what you bought. And by the way, is he embracing the uh, shift suppression? His poll percentage is up to 56% at this point. So he's just, yeah, I'm, I am who I am, right? Yeah, it ain't helping. <laughs> <laughs> No, it isn't helping him in that case, but he's just given up on trying to move the ball around. He's just pulling the ball and just doing what he does, right? Well, and he just he doesn't hit a ton of ground balls, so it it wasn't as impactful to him as it was for a lot of hitters. Like Anthony Rizzo comes to mind uh, as a guy that I think really is benefiting from the new shift rules. All right, let's switch over to some pitching for a while and start with Michael Kopech, who's one of these guys who started out abysmally but has shown some promise in his last couple of outings. Yeah, I guess some promise. I mean, if you strike out 10 Kansas City Royals, good for you, I guess. Um, yeah. you know, you're, it's a long and illustrious list of people that can do that. Um, not The thing with Kopech is, is the same thing that we've always dealt with with Kopech, right? I mean, if he has his control, he can be dangerous. Uh, but, you know, there's the quality of contact is poor. Uh, he allows a lot of fly balls, uh, you know, up again this year to 49%. And the stuff is, it's up a little from last year, but it's down from his prospect days. And he's just not, he doesn't miss an abnormal number of bats. He kind of is average in terms of bat missing. So what here is exciting? Like every once in a while, he'll throw up a, a nice start. You'll be like, oh, Michael Kopech, I remember that guy. But there's nothing here that's super exciting at all. The control is below average. The quality of contact allowed is below average. And the ability to miss bats is average. That's a below average pitcher. What's exciting is it's like walking through a bad neighborhood in your city. It's like it's exciting because you just don't know what's going to happen because you can get a four home run game that he gave up to Cincinnati in there, squeezed around a pretty good performance against Minnesota, where it was seven strikeouts, but there were five walks in there and he still only gave up one run. And then you get Kansas City, which is a major league team, and you still are they are they though? 
<laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> but eight shutout innings with no walks and 10 strikeouts. Shows he can throw strikes when he wants to, I guess. Or throw strikes when he feels confident. You know, honestly, this podcast won't get out in time uh, to take advantage of this today. But, you know, he, he probably will put up a good start today. The Guardians are nobody's idea of a good offense. Uh, even with Jose Ramirez back, they're probably a bottom 10 offense right now. Um, and I and they don't walk a ton. So I feel like, you know, he probably can put up a good start today too. But it's not going to change my feelings about Kopech being a below average starting pitcher. And they don't, hopefully they don't play into his weakness, which is possibly giving up home runs. And he, there's no need to, because they're not particularly powerful, there's no need for him to be cute. So hopefully he'll limit the walks. That's that's basically the same thing with him every day, right? Every outing. It's like, how many walks are we going to get out of him? And this year, how many strikeouts too? The range has been all over the all over the map a little bit, but it's walks and homers, right? And that makes him volatile, which is the type of pitcher I just don't want to deal with. Yeah, 100% with you. And you you say a lot um, when we talk about guys that are control challenged, like, is it a skill problem or is it a fear problem? And with Kopech, I don't get the sense that it's a fear problem. I just think that his mechanics are poor and he has no control half the time. He just has no idea. And and he he has no idea. It's even coming out of the bullpen because I think it's such a day-to-day thing. And I don't even think that the fear becomes an element during the course of the game when he's walked six guys like he did against Houston. I don't think he gets fearful and starts throwing more strikes or less strikes. I just think on a given inning in a given outing coming out of the bullpen or coming out of his warm pitchers, he just has no idea what's going to happen. He doesn't. And the thing that gets me like the white Sox, in my opinion, are a really sort of poorly managed organization. Um, but yeah. if you're looking at this, if you're, if you're somebody in the white Sox front office and you're sitting here looking at Michael Kopech and you say, okay, three years, he's been a starter. And his ex-fips are 495, 483, and 523 in those three years. And one year we used him as kind of a, almost a fireman out of the bullpen, and his ex-fip was 299. So, you know, maybe, maybe we want to think about doing something that actually worked. I don't understand what the adherence there is to him being a starter at this point. And his calling card is velocity, and the velocity has bounced back to an extent, but he just... You, you just, again, with this type of sampling that he has that you never know it's going to happen from one inning to the next. Why would you just, it's just going to the casino and just, you know, throwing the dice that many more times. The house, the house is not in your favor. With Michael Kopech, more innings is not in your favor, I don't think. Well, and, and there's more here too uh, that I think the White Sox are sort of foolish about. You know, if you're his pitching coach this time, so somebody else in the organization that I'm not sure knows what they're doing. You look at his deployment of certain pitches and the quality of those pitches. And, you know, he's fastball first guy, clearly. Velocity is the calling card, as you said. Um, But the only other pitch that's ever really been consistently good for him is his curveball. It's actually gotten pretty consistently better over the last couple of years. So naturally, this year, he's using it less than he ever has. Right. And he's basically... Just fastball slider, 89% of the time fastball slider, which, of course, are the only two pitches that have negative pitch values for him. Uh, the other right. two, the change of the curve, have positive pitch values, so he never uses them. I just I see stuff like this, and I'm like, all right. It's like when we talked last year about the Brewers and Keston Hira, who is a reverse splits guy and has been his right. entire career, including minor leagues. So naturally, the Brewers would only deploy him against left-handed pitching. Um, because they seem to have no idea what their own players are good at and bad at. And this is, I look at this kind of thing and I say the same thing. Like, why do you not look at this stuff and see what you have instead of trying to slam the square peg into the round hole? Because the slider isn't good. No, it's never been good. It's never been good, but they're forcing it because he has to have a second pitch. You have to keep him off the pass ball, right? Well, how about developing a changeup a little bit more. How about that developing curve. a curve? That curve is a perfectly good pitch. Yeah, shown, why is that not his second pitch? Found some effectiveness. Yeah, why not use it more? I, I don't understand. That's and there's a lot we don't know. You know, we're sitting here looking at numbers and, and we watch him pitch, you know, five, six times a year making these calls, but it just seems obvious to me. It seems obvious to me, too, and you would think the catchers would have something to say about this because, I mean, they can see the quality of the slider and that it's getting hit, and it's this has been years now. This is no, this is not news. It's not news to anybody. No, but they have a new catcher seemingly every two weeks there, so who knows? 
Um, Alex Manoa is a guy everyone should be concerned about because the performance hasn't been good, especially because, I mean, this was okay in the past, especially because he pitched really well last year. But you paid a pretty good price for him this year, and you're not getting any money back for him. I, I love how I saw a clip of him talking trash to the Orioles last week because he actually went like five and two thirds and only gave up two runs and he struck a guy out, which is, is a miracle in itself. You know, this kind of like this the Celtics, is, right? <laughs> what are you this talking dude is broken. About? Oh yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, very similar. Yeah, this this guy's broken right now. Um, we talk, you know, we just mentioned this a, a few players ago. We talk about control issues, whether it's. Uh, mechanical slash they, you know, they can't, they don't have the physical control or whether it's fear. And this year with Manoa, I believe that it's fear. You know, he's not missing bats, but at least the past couple of years, he missed bats at a very slightly above average rate, which gave us, you know, right. some optimism. Maybe he takes another step forward into good in terms of bat missing. He was good in terms of control. He was good at quality contact allowed. Ergo, he was good. But, you know, there was always enough there with XFIPs at 417 and 397 against ERAs of 322 and last year's miraculous 224. There was enough there to, to give us some pause, right? I mean, we kind of, I personally had him down around number 25 uh, for starting pitching. And uh, what, where was his ADP was like 16 or something? Where, where yeah. Was he? yeah, 16, exactly. So, you know, I, I thought he was being overdrafted. I have one share of him in an AL only league um, because he just he fell to me at a very low price in the auction. And I thought, well, you know, this is too cheap. He has to provide me $6 of value, right? Wrong. Uh, I think he's like negative six right now. So, you know, the, the zone percentage has gone down from 42.7, which is respectable, to 38.6, which is you don't throw strikes. And that's the thing with Manoa is if he's not missing bats, he doesn't want to come in because he does get hit. And now here we are with a 515 ERA, which is actually better than he deserves. This is 2020 hindsight, and it's hard to logically put the argument together because of last year, of course, and he pitched very well in 2021. But they drafted him in the first round, and they had him in the majors less than 40 innings pitched in the minors before there. And given his what we know about his personality at this point, too, you wonder if they kind of robbed him of a little bit of development and whether he could have used some more time just getting ready for the major leagues. Some maturity probably would be um, helpful <laughs> at yeah. this point. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, you know, I, I, but it's easy to construct the narrative after the fact, I think. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's 2020 hindsight. And, and of course, he pitched, he pitched really well, and he is 25 years old. He should have some of that maturity anyway. But I'm just thinking of a guy, I'm, I'm kind of comparing him to a Garrett Cole, who was the big gun in Pittsburgh. And, you know, I'm the lead guy. I was drafted high. I know what I'm doing. Don't tell me what I'm doing. And then he got mm -hmm. traded to Houston, and he had veteran pitchers around him. Who, By the way, he was shamed by being traded, first of all. So he took yep. a little bit of an ego hit there and was dealing with all these pitchers in this organization. That, and he was taking the coaching in Houston where he wouldn't do it in uh, Pittsburgh. And he became a, a little bit of a different pitcher. I, I think Alex Manoa kind of suffered. Maybe he suffers from that a little bit. It's like he's unwilling to, I, or maybe, I don't know. I'm, this is all speculation. But he's struggling now because he hasn't had, he hasn't dealt with the adversity in the minor leagues and didn't have that extra little time to mature. Uh, that certainly could be some of it. And the difference there, of course, between he and, and Garrett Cole, I think, is that Garrett Cole has very good stuff. Yeah. Alex Manoa has pretty good stuff. And the difference between very good and pretty good is a lot. And even last year in the 224, and, and the XCRA was 331 last year, but even last year he was striking out 8.2 per nine, which is not power, which is not overpowering. He's not quite a contact pitcher at that point, but he's not dominating by any stretch of the imagination. And his attitude certainly comes across as a dominating pitcher. And it's even less so this year with that strikeout rate down. And of course, the walk is off the chart. The walks are off the chart. So that's very concerning. Home runs are off the charts, too. But there is, again, little margin for error for a guy who's only striking out eight per nine. Yeah. And I just, I've watched a few of his starts this year, and the look on his face is the same look that you see uh, at night when a deer crosses the road in front of your car. I mean, he, he's just completely bewildered out there. He has no idea why he's not getting outs. And there's a lot of fear. You know, even on first strike, his first strike percentage is, is 54%. That's extremely low for a guy that has shown pretty decent control 
uh, in the past, particularly last year, but certainly in his, in his 35 minor league innings too, uh, 2.65 and 1.5 walks per nine at the two levels he was allowed to pitch at. Um, but I, I just, I think the key here is, is that the stuff is just not dominating at all. As you mentioned, um, he was, he was not, like you say, not necessarily a pitch to contact guy, but he was not a blow you away guy either. You know, he, he was kind of average to slightly above average at bat missing. And you can see when that degrades just a little bit, the margin of error is very slim here. And yeah. If you can't reach back. Now he's if you can't reach back and just will yourself that strikeout, you've got to, you've got to approach things in a different way, but he approaches his starts like he's a big swing and miss guy and he's not. Yeah. And, you know, the stuff is actually down a little bit this year, too. The, the stuff is down eight-tenths of a mile an hour on the fastball. It may not seem like much, but every little bit for major league hitters is kind of a big deal. All right, Blake Snell is kind of a mixed bag anyway, and it is the odd year, so it should be an off year for him at this point. But it's been a particularly off year with a 540 ERA and his 156 whip to this point. And uh, strikeouts are down, walks are up, quality of contact is certainly a little bit even a little bit better than last year but so but it's basically control at this point it's swing and miss and it's about walking guys and giving up homers it's always been about walking guys for Snell if he can keep it kind of in the low to mid threes he's successful uh the years that he gets above that which there have been three or four of them he's not successful and people say what's wrong with Blake Snell what's wrong with Blake Snell is that the control is hit or miss and when it's miss he's not good there, there's nobody, there's no major league pitcher that I know of right now that when they have to throw a strike and the batter knows it, can throw it by them consistently. There's nobody. Hunter Green throws 103 miles an hour. Right. When batters know it's coming, they can hit it. Major league hitters are good. Yeah. Newsflash, I guess. But, you know, Blake Snell, these years where he has tough control, all of a sudden the swing strike rates come down to earth, down into the 13% range, which is still very good, but it's not elite. And he needs elite if he's going to be a very good starting pitcher because the walks are always there to some extent. And, and the ground ball rate's low. And I've been paying attention to first pitch strike more recently, especially with a guy like Blake Snell, which is down to 53%, which means 47% of the time he's starting in a bad leverage count. Right. He's behind on the hitters. Forty seven percent of his at bats. That's not a good position for him to be in, because, again, the swinging strike has you know, swinging strikes have been good at times. But it's been several years since it's been elite or very good. So you just he can't be a pitcher with his control problems who works behind in the count, because, as you said, hitters just zone up on him. It's totally true. I mean, that that's ev- that is everything to him because he does have very good stuff. So he's pitched. This is his eighth year in the major leagues. The four years where he has walked more than four men per nine, his chase rates are 29.7, 30.4, 28.6, and this year's 28.4. The four years that he has walked less than four men per nine, his chase rates are 33.1, 36.9, 35.5, and 33.9. Mm-hmm. So you're talking a difference of probably 5.5% on average. It's about 295 versus 35 on walking more than four or less than four. I mean, it, it's, it seems crazy that it's that simple for him, but it is that simple for him. He and needs might, to throw strikes. And it might be shown in the deployment of the slider, which is a pitcher he's dependent on quite a bit. He's down to 15% this year where it's been 24% the last few years, but the slider isn't a pitch you throw for strikes and you can't be throwing a ton of sliders if you're behind in the count because again, hitters can just lay off them. Right, and the slider is his best pitch. It's always been his best pitch. The changeup is .01 runs per 100 pitches better this year, but the slider is his best pitch. The change, he's using more. It is much more effective this year, but it's the fastball command that's killing him. He just can't get strike one. You mentioned the 53% first pitch swing rate. That might as well be 50-50. Half the time he's starting at ball one, and then he's fighting uphill. So, so you've been throwing your best pitch a quarter of the time, and now you can only throw it 15% of the times because you don't have the counts to throw it or the counts to set up the hitters to be uh, dealing with it, then that's a bit of a problem when you're taking your own best pitch out of your hand. Yeah, I, I don't mind him, you know, increasing changeup usage there. Right. I, I You know, it's been effective, uh, so I think it's a, it's a perfectly good pitch. But he needs to throw strikes. He's not. <laughs> it's as right. simple as that. 
we all love Nesta Cortez last year, and I, and he's had two good years in a row. But I still thought we were overpaying for him in spring a little bit. But uh, because, and I, again, it's hard to say it's a track record thing because there've been two good seasons in a row. He's thrown his last two hundred and forty innings pitch. Have been pretty good at the major league level, but it's been a bit of a struggle so far this year. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll we'll see a little bit more tonight. The Orioles are a pretty tough team against left-handed pitching, so I think it'll be a good matchup for him uh, to see if he has really harnessed the slider because that's the key for him. Um, if he has command of the slider, I know he's only throwing it 15% of the time, but it's it's a big deal. And the slider looked like it was back last game. He used it more frequently. It was more effective. And I think that that's, that's everything for him because he's certainly not an overpowering hitter. He's a hitter, uh, pitcher, excuse me, pitcher that relies on deception. Um, 91 and a half on the fastball, throws the kitchen sink at you. Uh, <laughs> it's not, he doesn't, it's like you, Darvish, okay? It may list four pitches for him, but he has about 12. I mean, he yeah, throws right, all yeah. different arm angles and, you know, just varying degrees of horizontal and vertical break on this stuff. He's got, he's got a whole arsenal but he needs that slider to work because that's his true swing and miss pitch. He's only average at missing bats. So the K rate, obviously we talked about it already, probably a bit overstated the last few years, but he's still missing. He's still missing bats. He's almost K nine per, per nine this year. One in inning, fine. Um, I do feel like Nestor Cortez is more of a highest three RA pitcher. The XFIPs bear that out the last two years. I know he had ERAs in the twos, but the XFIPs were 418 and 363. That's what you should be paying for. Sure, Yankees are a great offense. He may outperform by a little bit, so maybe you're hoping for 15 wins and a 350 ERA uh, in a in a really good season for him. So I think you know. Hopefully, we're back on track with that tonight's start. For me, will give us it'll shed some light on that. His uh, left on base percentage at 67. percent He's been an 80 percent plus for the last two years. Kind of showed a skill set of the ability to do to do that. Babbitt's 305. Been a little bit unlucky there. Homer to fly ball 10 percent. Not unlucky in the course of his career, but based on last year, um, you know, not necessarily unlucky, but he hasn't been helped either. No, in the pulls up, the fly balls up. So fly balls you know, he's, up. Big, he's yeah. allowing some homers one and a half homers per nine that'd be the high watermark in his three seasons launch angle of 27.5 i mean that, that's not horrible really you're getting a lot of pop-ups with that um but nestor again is just not an overpowering guy so if you're getting that kind of thing happening there's going to be some home runs involved in there um i really feel like i keep reiterating the same things with with these guys but you know with snell uh, it's the walks with Nestor. It's the slider. You know, these, these, this one thing, if it can be right, he's perfectly good. All right. If we could put our thumb on Lance Lynn's stat line and take the result stats out of this. And we looked at the underlying indicators, really not as bad as the result stats are telling it. It is, but how bad is it with Lance Lynn? And again, another guy who's seen a little bit of a bounce back recently. Yeah. <clears throat> excuse me. I don't think it's horrible. You know, the control's off a little bit. This would be his uh, largest walk total since 2018. Um, but he's still missing bats. You know, he allows a lot of fly balls, uh, a lot of line drives really this year. 25.5% line drive rate should give you a really high BABIP. And lo and behold, it has. 344. Um, people are going to look at that like, you know, he's been unlucky. I would say that's not the case. When you allow this many line drives, you allow a higher BABIP. It's plain and simple. Um, but the strand rate, 63%, is abnormally low that should come back and normalize itself a little bit um swing strike rates 12.6 percent would be the second highest of his career there, there's a lot here that i think is okay the thing with lance lynn is you know i feel like people treat him like an sp2 and for me he's more of a three slash four he's the kind of guy that in an average year should have an era sort of between 375 and four uh he's misses a decent number of bats the whips are okay so I don't mind him as a pitcher if he's at the back of my rotation, but I certainly don't see him as somebody that's going to be an anchor for me. No, he kind of dragged us there for 2021 or for 20 for the 2022 draft, and we went there, but there was no reason to do it this year. We just bounced back to the 399 ERA last year, which isn't bad, and it was a 362 X ERA, which wasn't bad, but they was he was still drafted this year as a top half of the rotation starter, and I don't think he's that. Yeah, I don't think he's that either, but, you know, people have this conception of certain guys. He was drafted 34th. 
Um, you know, he's he's right there around like Severino and, and Tyler Glass now. I know we haven't gotten anything really from them to speak of yet. Sevy's had a couple good starts. Glass now is supposed to be pitching on Saturday. But if you're going to compare those two guys to Lance Lynn for the rest of the year and say, which one do you want? Oh, God. I'm not picking Lance Lynn. No, no, of course not at this point. But it's funny how we get sucked into players. And once a, it shouldn't be this way with pitchers at all, especially pitchers in their mid 30s for, for certain. But we get these impressions of pitchers and they tend to last a little bit longer than their performance tells us they should last. Well, because a lot of these guys can kind of hang on through decreasing velocity. Uh, where they keep putting up like pretty decent years. Like last year, his ERA was around four, um, but he walked like no one. So the whip was really pretty good uh, despite that. So you're thinking, oh, well, you know, he he's still an SP3. It's fine. But at a certain point, you know, we talk about these fine margins that pitchers have. And when you lose a half a mile an hour or a mile an hour, it can matter quite a bit. And Lance Lynn continues to lose a little bit of velocity every year. He lost eight-tenths of a mile an hour last year. He's lost another six-tenths so far this year. And you're looking at 2019 versus now. He's down two full miles an hour. So, yeah, I mean, sure, he's less effective. You'd expect that. Corbin Burns doesn't fall into that category of outlasting our perception of him because coming into this year, we had every reason to believe that he was a top-of-the-rotation top, top of the rotation type of starter for you, a guy that you could lead with. It's funny how so many of these guys that we drafted as top-of-the-rotation starters for so many teams are having performance issues this year. And his 397 ERA isn't awful, but based on the price that we paid for him and what we thought we were going to get out of him, it's just, it's extremely disappointing to this point. Is do we have to change our perception of, Cor- of Corbin Burns? Well, Corbin Burns has not been good. Uh, I've watched his last few outings, and he's just he's really struggling with his control. Um, and he had the same issue last year, but was able to get a lot more out of it. The chase rate was still very high at 36. Swing strike rate was still very high at 15. Again, not quite as good as 2021, but last year, was it was still plenty good enough. This year, he's just, he's not getting the chase rate. He's not missing the bats. He's walking a lot more guys. The command just doesn't seem to be there. And he had this same blip for a couple of starts last year and then righted the ship. It was very quick. Um, so I think we talked about him in mid-April because he had a bad first two or three starts, if I'm not mistaken, last year. And we said, well, I know control hasn't been there, but it hasn't been there for all the Milwaukee starters. Weather's been bad. They're having trouble gripping the ball. It's so cold. You know, let's let this settle out. And it did, and it was fine. This year is different. It has It's something else. The control is definitely poor. It's more like it was back in 2019, 2020, when he was pitching primarily out of the bullpen, but he's not missing bats like he was then. So everything just looks a little bit not great for him right now. And I'm, I'm hopeful that the skill set is still there. You know, he hasn't lost a ton of velocity, but he's down, again, eight-tenths of a mile an hour, a full mile an hour on the cutter, which is his number one pitch. So this is it's a little bit concerning for a guy that was the second pitcher drafted. You start looking here, it's concerning just on the three-year trend basis. XERA from 2 to 3.05 to 3.90 this year. Strikeouts from 12.6 to 10.8 to 8.1 this year. This is three-year trends. Walks 1.8, 2.2, 3.4. Homer uh, in the fly ball, 6%, 14%, 15%. rate, 3% to 6% to now 7%. Uh, average exit velocity, 85 to 87 to 88. It's swinging strikes, 16.6 to 15.1 to 11.8. Chase rate, 37.8 to 35.7 to 31.3. This is a pretty disturbing three-year trend at this point. It demands being paid attention to, doesn't it? Yeah, I think it does. And, you know, the schedule wasn't great for a while, but then he pitched in San Francisco and home against Kansas City and he thought, all right, well, this is fine, except he walked seven guys in 12 innings in those two starts. Sure, he only allowed two earned runs, but he allowed three more unearned runs. And it just, it wasn't a dominant Corbin Burns performance. I mean, he's had one really good start this year at Arizona, the third start of the year, eight innings, three hits, no runs, no walks, eight Ks. Oh, and there's the key, no walks. Yep. You know, he his control has just not been good. He's had one, one other start, uh, two other starts, excuse me, with one walk apiece. So 10 starts. Zero walks once, one walk twice, then two walks three times, three walks three times, and four walks once. That's not Corbin Burns. 
So I, the stuff is just not quite as good as it was before. And it makes me wonder, there, there's got to be something going on, whether he's not 100% physically or his mechanics are just a little bit off. But it's just, it's hard to diagnose a problem like that that has extended over three years because this has been a slide for three years at this point. The indicator is a little bit more severe than the result stats until this year. And you can you can yell small sample if you want, early seasons, whatever you want to do. But he's got 10 starts. He's going to make 30 this year. So we're 33% through his season. And these are the results we've gotten. And at the price we paid for him, it's just, it's troubling. It is troubling. But, you know, what, what do you do at this point? You certainly, you're not going to sell him for 60 cents on the dollar. You're going to hope that he writes the ship. Yeah, and by the way, his 3.970 RA isn't the worst in the world. It's not like you cut him or anything like that. But but it's something I think you put in your back pocket for draft season next year. Yeah, I think even if he comes back and pitches reasonably well and you get that ERA down in the low threes and the walk rate comes down under three and the K rate comes back up to one per inning or a little bit better, I think you need to remember that – this is two straight years of declining performance from that excellent 2021. All right. The Fantastics Insider Baseball podcast can be found on insiderbaseball.com, Spotify, Apple, Google. And if you're going to use one of the podcast outlet sites, make sure you subscribe so you know when they drop. Uh, we're going to be going with the podcast throughout the year. Uh, the serious show ends at the end of June, but we'll be, going, we, we'll be going through podcasts for the rest of the year as well. And oh, by the way, at over at InsideOfFootball.com, Dan and James started their podcast for this if you want to get into some football as well. So check us out at InsideOfBaseball.com and InsideOfFootball.com. Everyone have a great day. We'll talk to you next time on the Inside of Baseball podcast. Oh, yeah. Let's go!